o'clock meeting starts. Seven o'clock. Ah, good stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everybody, for listening to his cue. Welcome to New Freedom. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. There's still seating around. I know it may be a little cozy tonight, but we're a fairly safe crowd. Come on in. Um, we open every meeting of Position of Neutrality with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee's in the house. Both Chaplain Lee's are in the house. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Father, we welcome you in tonight. We thank you for helping us to arrive safely into this location. For we know tonight is a night which you designed in mind to be able to help your people. We ask you, Lord, as you speak through your manservant, as we prepare to dive in and take this journey through the steps, beginning tonight from step one, we believe, God, that there's a mighty power in the message that is about to be released in this room. So we thank you for just being with us and having your way. We ask you to speak through the lives that are here, and we watch the lives transform before our eyes. And you get the glory, and we thank you in advance because your credit is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say amen. Thank you, chap. Um, how many members are in here tonight? A good bunch, good deal. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. We know you have a long day. If you're new here and you haven't been told, your families are welcome to this event and to CHAP service on Saturdays. Same deal, uh, have them meet us back here at 6.15 and, and come in and, and spend some time with you while you're here, regardless of how long you're here. So you know, um, we've got a group in Douglas who's been watching our videos from here and then they, have a recovery meeting around what they learn through the meeting. So they're So what I was going to ask you to do is what you did ahead of me, give a shout out to Douglas one more time. And shout out to everyone else that's still in ADCRR. They uh, all 33,000 tablets have access to us, so say hello. And everyone who is in Maricopa County Jail similarly has access to us, so say hello to them. So got all that out of the way. Thank you very much for coming out. Um, how many of you are here for the very first time at this meeting? Do you? you? Alright. So, first of all, welcome. And then second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a very different experience here with us. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery, why? Oh yeah, we have chants and people know what they mean. <laughs> the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So it's not my job to tell you what it says because what it says to you is none of my business. But what I try to do is show you how I find my experience in it and encourage you to have your experience with it. And if we both do our jobs, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that happens? So by the show of hands, those of you online can't see their hands because of the anonymous nature of our fellowships and the fact that you're looking at a live stream from a behavioral health center and there's some other codes involved. <laughs> but when they raise their hands, we're talking about in 12-step in recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You'll feel it. It's tangible. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God. Power! 
That was good, right on cue. Without giving you a demonstration. The other thing we do here so that people's prejudice doesn't get in the way is when I say God, they say power because we're just talking about access to power. We do not want to remain powerless even though tonight we're going to explore the experience of powerlessness, right? All right, so the reason why we do the meeting the way we do the meeting is found in the forward to the first edition of our book. If you have a book, you can look at it. And if not, I'll redirect and try not to stray too far. Starts out, says, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So who's we in all the... They've told us that very clearly. How many of you have come to recovery and heard people talking about experiences that you hadn't had and thought maybe that hadn't happened to me? Okay, well, you're not we. So later in the book, they tell you why that might be. What, is, what do they tell us in chapter 5? Rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. Singular, not paths. A book written by a hundred, about several thousand, one path. So this is testimony. That's why I'm calling your attention. It's not your testimony, not my testimony. It's their testimony. But they got a deliverance I desperately need. So what I want to do is figure out how to get on this path. Make sense? So then it says, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how I align my experience, precisely how I'm recovered as in accordance with this book. And I'm going to encourage you to have your experience, and we're going to hope a whole lot of people get recovered and stay that way. Yes? Okay. Now I'm going to jump over to the doctor's opinion, and I'm going to go to page XXVI, and I'm going to get into the writing after the doctor's first letter, what the authors thought about the doctor's opinion, and then we'll take a little bit deeper dive into the deeper opinion the doctor has, and then we'll take a look at some experience. Fair enough? How many of you have been through the book before? Okay, how many of you found it a little difficult to read until someone showed you how? Well, don't feel bad. No one can read this book until someone shows them how. It's not a bold statement. It's a fact. You cannot read this book unless someone shows you how, and I'll tell you why. The authors are writing about an experience. They're talking about something sensory. And so they write it in past tense, and they write it in present tense. And they write it in first person and they write it in third person. And if someone doesn't help you navigate that, it just goes right on by you. Does that make sense? So we're going to try and call your attention. I felt somebody, who's feeling that? Somebody was like, wow, no wonder I couldn't read that stupid book. Okay. Okay. So we're on XXVI. The physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. So we're going to look at the statement which follows in a minute. But I always like to show the addict, the alcoholic's opinion of the doctor's opinion because one thing I've learned about working with our people is no matter how learned the opinion, we've got an opinion. Okay, so it says, in this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe, that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. Any of you ever struggle with that? Well, they tell us we must believe it. So we've got to find a way to take their word based on our experience when they try and make, so that we understand, because... If this is bodily, number one, I didn't cause it, and number two, I can't escape it of my own power. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life. 
that we're in full flight from reality or we're outright mental defectives. How many of you had those types of things said about you? Did that satisfy you or did you think that there might be more to the story? So what they go ahead and acknowledge is what many of you are acknowledging. These things were true to some extent. In fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. Yeah. True? Yeah. But we're sure that our bodies were sickened as well. By the time we're done tonight, we want you to at least acknowledge what they're saying about it so that you'll know somehow to get past those gates of reason and see if this might be you. Does that make sense? Okay, so in our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. This is the author's. How many of you have heard the doctor's theory that we have an allergy and thought it sounded nonsensical? How many of you have heard people in our fellowships tell jokes about it? I drink and I break up in handcuffs. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds clever, but if this is something I must believe and I'm deceiving the new guy because I'm not giving him the benefit of the information that were imparted to these people who recovered at massive rates, being clever was at a huge cost, wasn't it? So as lame in our opinion as to its soundness may of course mean little, but as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that this, his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. So I need to try my best to help you get on a path where you can break down your prejudice based on the information they were given so you can see if it might apply. Does it make sense? So I'm going to jump to the next page. At the bottom of that page, says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. So what the doctor opines is the fact that I crave this beyond mental control is a signal of my physical malady. He said it was a phenomenon to him, phenomena, but it maybe the manifestation of an allergy. Now in medical terms, what an allergy is, is an abnormal reaction. So if you're a medical person, you'll say it may be a manifestation of an allergy, but since I'm not a physician, but I am a drinker, I want to share with you that when I drink, alcohol energizes me. That ever happened to any of you? It's a sedative. That would be considered an abnormal reaction. Where's my opiate addicts? When you were out, did people think you were on? And when you got hooked up, you're out there vacuuming the lawn. They thought, shit, he's all good. I'm guessing some of you are relating. Where's my meth addicts? Do I need to say this? That shit calms you down, doesn't it? You are straight freaking spun and you're like, chill. Those are abnormal reactions to those stimulants or sedatives, yes? That's what the doctor's talking about. Now he's gonna talk a little more about it if we recognize that may be me. Okay, so it says that this craving for liquor often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. How many in a never? Zero. Has it ever happened to you? We don't know that you're an alcoholic or an addict, but we know you are not temperate. Is that fair enough? 
They'll go into more detail later about the hard drinker, the temperate drinker, and the real alcoholic. And we, we can examine that or not. We may not get into that tonight, but if you read this book, you can examine it for yourself. But what we, we can start doing is checking some boxes, right? All right, so it says these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it. Has that happened for you? Once having lost their self-confidence, has that happened for you? And for those of you that are struggling with the idea that you've lost your self-confidence, showing up in treatment centers, jails, recovery meetings is a sign whether we've acknowledged it or not that we've lost our self-confidence. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it says, says their reliance upon human th things human, their problems pile up in them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Has that happened for anybody? Yes. Look at who I'm talking to. Astonishingly, yes? Okay, so we, then they go on to tell us a little bit more about us if you're us. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Is that true? If you had people plead with you, if you loved me, you'd stop. And you loved them, and you couldn't stop. Anybody? Or am I in the wrong room again? I'm in the wrong room? Is that what you said? <laughs> The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. That's why I'm calling your attention to why we intend to be different and what I expect for you to have a different experience. I'm not going to speak to your mind. I'm going to speak to your soul. And I'm going to ask you to just acknowledge what's happening in you. And if it makes sense, then come with me. I'm going to show you something. Fair enough? Who's feeling that? Okay. All right, so in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And that's why this whole center is here. For those of you who are here, it's founded on this model. We know you need a runway. We know you need support. We know you need community. And we're here to pour into you and tell you whatever you've heard or believed about yourself, it absolutely is not true. We're going to get you where you're going. So I'm not going to get into a, a bunch of the other stuff. My favorite way to show the first step experience is not a clinical approach because most of us have had a lot of clinical approaches that haven't worked as well on us. So I like to just go through it through Bill's story because if you've ever read Bill Wilson's story in this book, most of us would agree he sounded like a pretty serious drinker. Yeah? So drinking, I don't care if your thing is cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, fentanyl, it all has a very similar effect to us. When I take it, I need more. They say, Joe, what's your drug of choice? More. Okay, page five. He's starting to describe what's going on with him, then he's going to describe his encounter. So understand in the first step experience, I'm going to have an admission of powerlessness and unmanageability. And it's not conceptual, it's experiential. So we're going to have the experience of powerlessness and unmanageability in here. It will evoke tears, it will evoke, evoke all kinds of things in different people, and that's what's supposed to happen. We're also going to rattle your spirit a little bit and we're going to experience some joy and some laughter because if it was all not fun we wouldn't have got so deep in it. But then we're going to lay out clearly the case for how one awakens and why you might want to join in this process of awakening. Does it make sense? Yes. Okay, so he says liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. How many of you in your addiction can sort of bring to consciousness now that time in active addiction where you realize you were no longer behaving like you wanted to, you were, you were like in a tractor beam somewhere. Okay, that's what he's talking about. So he, said what, he tells us what it looked like for him. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. How many of you worked your way into 
the whole completely tore up from the floor up thing. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I'd pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly and I began to waken very early in the morning shaking violently. I got any drinkers in the house? Any of you remember waking early in the morning shaking violently? Here's what it looked like for him. A tumbler full of gin followed by a half dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Any of you ever get to where you had to get right in order to just... Then he says, how many of you had to do that to get right? Had to go to all kinds of crazy lengths just to get right enough to be able to think what the next step is and then go, well, that ain't bad. I'll fix this tomorrow. Any of you ever... So what he says is, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. We like to deny that we have a mental illness in addiction. We have people that don't believe addiction and addictive disorder is a mental illness. But when we find ourselves here and I'm behaving this way when I desperately don't want to behave, what is it then? If I redefine my reality in spite of my circumstance, what else would you call mental illness? How many of you drank to homelessness? How many of you could convince yourself that was a choice? Only suckers pay rent. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, and that's not good news if you ain't going through the rest of the path, because most people would think that was a clinical definition of insanity. Um, and then it said, there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. Now, it's funny the way we tell our stories and we talk about what gradually looks like. Let's go through his logic and see what gradually looked like, see if you can relate to him. Because for most people, what he said was gradual was earth-shattering devastation. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and my father-in-law became ill. Anybody have family getting sick and dying around you? Yeah. Any of you desperately wanted to do better before they went? Yeah. Any of you watched that chance vanish? Yeah. How many of you still feel terrible about it today? Yeah, yeah that's powerlessness that you're experiencing. <laughs> and you're going to, because you went through it and because you can own it, you're going to lift up thousands and let them know of the redemption that's possible. Because we've been through it, and we can, can't we, Cody? I see him sitting there. I know he's got a history. All right, so stocks were at a low point of 1932, and I'd somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. Now, he talks kind of weird for us today, but all he's saying is he got an opportunity, and then he went out and celebrated the opportunity he had been given. And then magically, not only did his resources vanish, but the chance that he thought he had vanished. Any of you ever done that? Then what was your response to it? Oh, no more of that, right? So what he says is, I woke up. This had to be stopped. You probably wouldn't have expressed it exactly that way, but I saw that I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. How many of you were ever through forever? He said, before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. How many of you even went to the extreme length to tell somebody else so you'd be accountable? Yeah. And those of you who didn't tell anyone else because you weren't too sure, where are you? I don't want to make this too real just yet. Okay. So he's talking about another notch, right? I'm going to tell somebody. 
because I don't want to keep this a secret because <laughs> nobody knows. Shh, right? How many of you have done all that? Told somebody, really meant it, and then what happened? So what Bill says is shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. How many of you can relate to that? I meant it. I told somebody. Oh, shit. Like not even a conscious thought, just gone. Anybody? Where had been my high resolve? Now he's asking a question. So if you, if you want to see, if you know this intuitive experience, ask the question inward. Think about that experience. Where did it go? I meant it when I said it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I simply didn't know. How many of you really looked for why you did what you did? And if you were honest, you didn't know. We don't know. And what happens when we tell people that are watching us that we don't know? Yes, you do. So then I start lying again. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It was her fault. If you had her, you'd drink too. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? Another question mark. With this book, every time they ask a question mark, take you to that place, go inward. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. Go find out if you're relating to the... That's how you learn to read this book. Every sentence, ask yourself a question. I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. So he's starting to tell you what addictive insanity, alcoholic insanity is. According to Bill, it's an appalling lack of perspective. That makes a difference because have you ever been in the rooms and heard people say insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result? I think that's terribly clever, but it's not my experience. Because guess what happens to me if you take it out far enough? I did exactly the same thing, knowing exactly what I was going to get, did it anyway. Does that make sense? Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. Those are a little bit of weird words, the whole cocksureness, but do you relate to what he's saying? It's the guy you meet that keeps picking up the 30, 60, 90 chip and then out, and they start saying, I got this. You been that guy? We experience the illusion of control with the experience of grace. And it's a natural mistake. That's why it's helpful to have someone help you with the process so you understand that you are experiencing grace and it doesn't last forever. You have to awaken. Does it make sense? Okay. So I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day I walked into the cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar asking myself how it had happened. Any of you just sort of stumble into getting high like it wasn't the plan, it was just the outcome? What did you do then? She stayed and got her done, huh? So I just want to look at what he had to say because he just went in to get one but then he's going to describe what happens after one, the manifestation of the allergy, the physical craving beyond my mental control. He had an intention, then he went in, then he ended up with a drink in his hand, and then he said, as the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I'd manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. Now he's turned the insane move. The insanity is always before the first drink, not after. What happens to me after the first drink is the crazy shit that happens to guys like me when I put alcohol in me. It's inexplicable to any room except one like this. Yeah, I'll get it. So he convinces himself in the moment that he chose what happened. But that's not possible. You can't make a choice with an unsound mind. And then he says getting really drunk is a choice, 
which is also not true. Later in the book, they'll describe to you the alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. They didn't say they misplaced it. They lost it. So you can no more, after you take your first drink, decide to get drunk or decide to get not drunk. It's just kind of whatever goes up, right? Get on top of the building, jump off. Halfway down, say, I decided to hit the ground. <laughs> you did not change the outcome, but perhaps you feel comforted by being in control. <laughs> Does that make sense? The, the mental disorder is a delusion of control in many aspects of our life. Does that make sense? So then it says the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. Do me a favor if you're following this. Take yourself to the time when you really wanted to be cleaned up, you really meant it, you had people counting on you, and then it didn't work out. Now you're not feeling good again, and you wake up and you experience that remorse, horror, hopelessness. Can you take yourself there? Not just an intellectual exercise, feel it. That's powerlessness and unmanageability. And the reason I call it to your attention, he said that is unforgettable. How many years sober are you guys sitting here that you can bring that to consciousness? Lots of years, right? It is unforgettable. We want to help people understand that because if you can still bring that to consciousness, we should read further, right? So the courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck for it was scarcely daylight. An all night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me that the market had gone to hell again well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. How many of you can relate to him? The world appears to be going on without me, and I have really hosed it this time. He said that was a hard thought. How many of you took that hard thought with him? That real, I'm defeated. I'm really defeated, not, not pretending, not trying to convince anybody. I'm really down. It is a hard thought, isn't it? Then he goes into the way many of us think. Should I kill myself? Any of you ever thought that? I'm guessing from, I'm seeing your face while you raise your hand, you were not successful. Nope. <laughs> I'm not trying to make light. I've been down that road and... Who knows? I thought I was successful. Doctor spent a lot of time reviving me. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you really took it out and came to in a hospital six, seven days later? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles in oblivion. How many of you drank away or slammed away or smoked away? Okay, that's all he's talking about. All right, so the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endured this agony two more years. How many of you really struggled with recovery for some period of time, always desperately wanted a different outcome, but just kept just not... Bill had to go another couple years. Some of us, I'm a decade man myself. Um, my desire was no less on day one than on day 365 of year 10. I, I just could not get out of the cycle. I wasn't raised that way. Anyone with me? That's what he's talking about. So it says, sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Any of you ever dip into the... 
Did you help him look for it? <laughs> Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from the city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. And then came the night when that physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. The next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. Any of you relate to him? How many of you, are there any drinkers in here? Did you drink to delirium tremens? So you know that fear he's talking about, right? Because I can't differentiate the true from the false, really. I mean, there's stuff going on around me that is calling me to do all kinds of stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I thought I had string coming out of my mouth. So I tried to cut it out with a, com a commando knife. And they, they had to come, the paramedics had to come get me. I was completely lacerated. I cut teeth out. That's just what happened to me. That's what I've been restored from, just so you know. These are not my teeth. <laughs> you wouldn't want them other ones. Um, all right. So the combination soon landed me on the rock. So how many of you started figuring out if you go and present with the right symptoms, they give you a little something-something? Maybe they'll treat your alcoholism as a Valium deficiency? People feared for my sanity, and so did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. So he got a little bit of hydrotherapy, got a little bit of time to get some of that stuff out of his system, and his mind cleared. Any of you been to treatment? And get... Maybe they gave you IV, or maybe they just let you shake it out. I don't know. It depends on where you did your detox. <laughs> Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. The doctor knew enough to tell him because one of those components he didn't know, right? We don't know which component you know or what you don't believe, but we got to believe both in order to come to believe in this power we're going to encounter. Does that make sense? Okay. So he says that it relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. So it's not that you're bad when you're in your addiction. You're behaving the only way you can given that you're an addict. Yes. Students of that other book, you're born in sin. Being a sinner in and itself is not bad. But as you become aware, you have an obligation to grow, don't you? So our intent here is not to preach, but to make you aware that there is a solution, but it's going to require that you're honest with yourself about what's up. Okay? So it says, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. How many of you got some relief from the fact that, look, at least there's an explanation for why I was behaving in a way I didn't want to behave? Because I always convinced myself I wanted to behave that way, and there was a chorus of people who would tell me I wanted to behave that way, even though I knew at my core I did not want to behave that way. Is anyone with me? Okay. So understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. Again, he's talking weird. But what do you think he means by the goose hung high? He's just saying everything was chill, man. I'm, I'm going about my business. I got this shit. I told he's fine. The goose hung high. Let's start a new phrase. Y'all just run around telling everybody the goose hangs high. <laughs> See if we can start a new fad. 
I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. So he got some knowledge, and then he went out in high hope. How many of you have had that happen? How did it work out for you? Well, here we are, right? <laughs> All right. So he says, but it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. Guys, the way we behave as we get further and further of addiction, we think somehow we're evil or we're bad or how could I do that? I can't ever be forgiven. Your moral and your bodily health is going to fall off in addiction because you're worshiping a synthetic thing out in the world. And you will pay any price to get it. That's the way you're wired. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. Then he says, they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. Can you go with him emotionally? Hearing everybody chatter about you? You're going to die. I know. Anyone with me? If you guys are opiate addicts, you need to get with me. Because that's a fact. You keep doing that, you're going to die. And what I'm trying to say is, I knew, and I almost welcomed the idea. Don't tell me that. I already know that. Tell me when. With me? Because that's where he is. And it's important you know that's where he starts from. Because where he's taken you, that's going to be a distant memory. But you still need to be able to inspire others to come out. Right? Okay. So it says, they, they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. How many of you didn't want to admit you were whipped just because it just didn't seem like a masculine thing to do? Or whatever. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of sots who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. How many of you got to the place where your addiction had you such in the grip that even the people you cared about, you knew if you tried again, you, you would definitely fail again. So if I don't try, I can't fail. <laughs> okay, that's what he's talking about. And you should be feeling what you're feeling. This is not a happy time. If you're coming out of an experience of powerlessness and unmanageability and you're all giggles, you have missed something. Right? We're going to have this experience clear at the pit because that's what it is to be powerless. It's not a theory. Yeah? Okay. So then he's going to tell you another check for you. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Are you with him? Can't describe how deep I've fallen and how it feels to be here. Anyone with me? That's what he's talking about. No words. Then he tries to describe it anyway because that's what we do. There's just no way to describe it here. Let me try. Okay. He says, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. How many of you have been in that kind of recovery where you just don't pick up no matter what? And then you get jammed up again and now you're in it and you're struggling. If you're in quicksand and you struggle, guess what happens? You sink faster. How many of you had that experience? That's the picture he wants to paint. All right, so I had met my match. I'd been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink and on Armistice Day 1934, I was off again. So he's talking about a couple of hospitalizations and another run, 
And so any of you that have had more than one go at this, we just like you to look at Bill's story. Sometimes it takes a minute to get this. And there ain't no shame in your game. We need to, we need to tie you in and we need to walk you out. Does it make sense? All right, so every, everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or I would stumble along to a miserable end. How many of you got to that point in your mind and everyone who knew you's opinion? He says, how dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. So I have survived this progressive illness. I have now encountered this power through this process, and now I'm going to enjoy progressive recovery, and I will experience it as happiness, peace, and usefulness. Does that sound like a good trade? for powerlessness and unmanageability. Because it requires a manner of living, folks. It doesn't require a new fellowship. It doesn't require memorizing book passages. It requires that I live to serve and that I get armed with the facts about myself so I can tell the story of my redemption to anyone who asks me, how does a wretch like you get to be where you are? And then I can say, well, exactly the same way it's going to happen for you. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected that there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. How many of you were drinkers? Were you hiders? If you guys don't know drinkers, we're hiders. And if you got enough alcohol hidden around the house that you can hit a, hit a lick everywhere you go, that's a big deal. <laughs> so he says, my, my wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. Any of you that had the experience of delirium tremens know what they're talking about? I had to have a, a lick or I was going to be really sick. Anyone else? How many of you got sick enough that you had to throw it up in a cup and drink it again? Yeah, man, because I got to get well enough to buy more, and I don't ever leave it a, a full one before I fall over. So, um, Anyway. So... With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dare hide a bed bottle, a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. And then he says, my musing was interrupted by the telephone. So he's sitting there thinking about how to set up his deal. And then the phone rings. So the cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. Now think about yourself in active addiction. We didn't have a lot of people calling and asking to visit us, did we? And unless we had liquor hung, hidden all over the house, they wouldn't be welcome because they'd be cutting into my action. Right? So it didn't happen very often. You with them? So he makes the comment, he was sober, and the authors put it in italics. So this is like an event. This cat can't be sober, but he's sober, and he's calling me and wants to come visit, and I got hooch. Got that? How many of you took it out pretty far, but you managed to keep one friend that gave you comfort? At least I'm not that bad yet. So that's who this cat is for him. He's, I'm not that bad yet, that Ebby. So he says, it was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Think about this now. The guys visited him in New York. He heard he had been committed. When you get crazy enough back then, they just committed you to alcoholic prison because you're, you're, it's not good. He couldn't have gotten out and walked out. That's how bad he is. He wondered how he had escaped. 
So of course he would have dinner and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. He's calling your attention to the way he thought. What is an oasis? It may be a mirage or it may be water in an arid place. How many of you thought somebody coming by was really a good thing and then it turned out not to be a good thing? He, I, I call your attention to that because he thinks mirage, but really this is his encounter. This is his redemption. So watch what happens next. The very thing in Oasis, drinkers are like that. Why did I take you through that mental twist? So we can relate to the author telling the story. Because whatever our thing is that we go back for more of, we can relate to that, right? Okay, so it says the door opened and he stood there fresh-skinned and glowing. Admit it, fellas, that is a weird way to describe your drinking partner. <laughs> He's trying to describe an inexplicable experience. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. So you know he's really trying to define what he's seeing because this guy can't be the guy he knows. What had happened? And now he's going back inward. He says, I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what I got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. You ever been disappointed but curious? So he can't figure this out. This guy's not behaving the way he should be behaving. He said, come, what's this all about, I queried. He looked straight at me. Simply, but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. Now admit it, regardless of your belief, you're sitting there drunk and drinking. Your friend shows up inexplicably different. And when you ask him why... He says, I got religion. The fun meter kind of goes, right? This is going to suck. We're going to get a lecture, right? So now watch what happens. I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. But bless his heart. Let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. So my mind goes right to, I can endure a lecture as long as I got the juice. Yes? But he was approached by an alcoholic who knew his spiritual experience. And if we're doing it right, we don't give lectures. So let's see what happened next. But he did know ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He let his presence speak for him. And that presence, although in him and on him, was divine, which is why he was inexplicably different, right? And what he came to deliver was the same religious idea and a practical program of action. And I say that to rooms because some people freak out when we say those words, but here's the religious idea. Power dwells within you. We call him God here. And we have a practical program of action, a manner of living, which will prove that fact to you, through you. Who's feeling that? See, that's a simple delivery. 
says he had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. Didn't say he came to pass a book, a meeting list, a phone list. He came to pass an experience onto him. And then he had an opportunity, if I cared to have it. Hmm. What was his experience? Evie had awakened. That was the experience. He came to... It wasn't Evie at all. It was the power awakened in him that he had awakened to. Does that make sense? So he said, certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. Then he said, he talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way out there over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. Bill's telling you in his drunkenness that when he remembered his grandfather's dying declaration that he knew God was real, but he would not let the preacher tell him how to worship his God. And he did it in absolute fearlessness. And Bill pulled that to consciousness, and it made him swallow hard. How many of you have had an experience come over you that caused an emotional rush through you and you had to choke it back? Well, he's describing for you his first conscious bump of the spirit that he knows. He's going to describe others as he goes through the journey. Okay, so then he talks about the wartime day in the old Winchester Cathedral came back again, and he'll embellish on that, right? He said, I'd always believed in a power greater than myself. I'd often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means a blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe... I'm sorry, this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomies, even the, the evolutionists suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. To come to believe, regardless of whether you're atheist, agnostic, or a religious person dying in your addiction, if you can just admit that the world existed before you got here and perhaps it'll survive after you leave, that's a start. It ain't a big pill to swallow. That's all he's saying. He had all that prejudice, but he had always believed in something bigger than him. That's the admission. Okay, so how could there be so much precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I got. And then I'm going to jump over to the middle of the first page, because i got to get done, or the next page. He said, but my friend sat before me and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he'd ever known. Had this power originated in him? Question. Bill's thinking about it. He goes, obviously it had not. There'd been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute, and this was none at all. That admission that I'm seeing a miracle in front of me, and I know it because I know him, and there he is, a new man. So they told you what it is to be recovered in 12-step recovery. It's not a medical recovery. Taken from a scrap heap and raised to a level of life better than the best you've ever known. It's a mining term, not a medical term. To be recovered is to be redeemed. You take from what was thought scrap and extract something infinitely valuable. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, then we're ready next week to have an encounter. Thank you very much. Yes.